You're listening to the best of the day. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Bruins win the faceoff in the Vancouver zone. Osternock left circle goes right wing for Marchand. He scores. First, I'll just reach in and pull my legs out. Now, I'll pull my arms out with my face. It feels like someone I love's dead. Something I love is dead. It does feel like it's dying, doesn't it? Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, reminder, we are streaming on the Sportsnet Now app in a matter of moments here. Our hold screen is still up. It says live stream starting stu- soon. And we'll be right back. And now we're almost live. We're getting so close, aren't we, A Dog? So close. There we go. Hey, everybody. There we are. Uh, Jason, we are coming to this uh, this fine audience live from the Kintech Studios. Tell them more about Kintech, will you? Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over fifteen hundred five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So here's the deal. Um, it was not a great sports weekend in terms of the teams that we root for. Is that fair to say? Yes. However, it was a busy sports weekend. There was a lot, and I mean a lot that went on. So over the next three hours, we have an awful lot to get into. We have a lot of things we have to cover. What were you happy about sports-wise over the weekend? <sighs> Good question. Every team that I had a vested interest in lost, mm-hmm. so that was tough. I think the only thing I had was the Huskies upsetting Oregon down in Oregon. My son had two games on the weekend, and he won one of them. That was the takeaway. I played on Friday. We lost. Right. And then everybody else lost. Mm. Leeds lost. And then, of course, the Canucks lost. Spoiler alert. And then the Lions lost, and the Seahawks lost. I'm not going in chronological order, but kudos to the boy. Yeah. He salvaged the weekend. Well done. Well done, boy. Uh, we have a big show today. As mentioned, 6.30. One of the things that happened this weekend, I guess this was a positive. Nobody got hurt. Uh, Canada announced their World Cup roster, the 26 men that will be going to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. Uh, We'll talk to Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, who is going to be on a plane in five days. Five days he's going to make his way over to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. So we'll talk to Peter about the roster reveal, the loss, disappointing loss, or sorry, tie, disappointing draw to Bahrain, the upcoming friendly against Japan, all that stuff. 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier. Our NFL insider from Football Outsiders brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Uh, Michael joined us to talk about everything that went on in the National Football League yesterday. Seahawks lose to Tom Brady and the Bucks in Germany. Uh, the Vikings and the Bills, if you did not see it, that was the game of the year, and it's not going to be matched. I'm confident in saying that right now. Also, Jeff Saturday wins on a Sunday. That's a clever play on words, isn't it? Yeah, no one did that on Twitter. Anyway, uh, Jeff Saturday gets a win in his debut. It was a busy day in the NFL. We'll talk to Mike about that at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Ian McIntyre. Well, we'll talk about the Canucks. We will talk about the Vancouver Canucks, who lost another pair of games over the weekend, this time in back-to-back fashion. Toronto on Saturday, 
Boston on Sunday. They are now off to their worst start since the Messier era. That's right. Their worst 16-game start to a season since the Messier era back in the late 90s in Vancouver. So it's grim. We'll talk to IMAC about that at 8, working in reverse. Mike Tannier at 7. Peter Galindo at 6.30. Uh, There's a bunch of sports tonight. It's a late night on the NHL calendar. That is because at 5 o'clock our time, it is the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony from Toronto. Uh, Daniel and Henrik Sedin, Roberto Luongo among those going in tonight. So that's at 5. Uh, there's some NBA. There's Monday Night Football as well. The Eagles and the Commanders cap off the week. So obviously, just in terms of that, you can tell there's a lot to get into. Uh, without further ado, let's do that now. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? So the weekend after a back-to-back, especially with losses, is always a tough one to do. Do you do it chronologically? Do you work in reverse and start with the most recent game? I'll try and lay this out as quickly as I can so we can get into the real meat of the issues and some audio from Bruce Boudreaux. We'll start Saturday in Toronto. Jordy Ben, remember him? Yeah, Jordy Ben scored the go-ahead goal as the Leafs rallied from a multi-goal deficit. Does that sound familiar, anybody? Multi-goal lead blown. The Canucks lose 3-2 at Scotiabank on Saturday. Spencer Martin gets the start. That one kind of raised a few eyebrows. Canucks, you put it in the notes quite astutely, I thought. It was a 3-2 score, but the game didn't even necessarily feel that close, even though the Canucks held a 2-0 lead. So that's Saturday. They go right back-to-back on Sunday in Boston, where uh, in the Canucks' defense, nobody has won in Boston this year, except Boston. The Bruins are the only team that wins there. That's just how it goes. But... Canucks also didn't play especially well. They were all right. But at the end of the day, it was a 4-2 loss in Boston, dropping this team to, wait for it, 4-9-3 through 16 games this season. Let me repeat, they have four wins. Four through 16 games in a season in which, going into it, the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, said it would be a disaster. If they miss the playoffs, I am done. It is a full-blown crisis for the Canucks here. And nobody seems to know what comes next. Do they fire the coach? Do they fire Bruce Boudreaux? Would that even help? Should they just lean into losing for the rest of the season? But I guess the problem with that is if you lean into losing and say you're just going to accept losing, where does that leave some of the young players on the team? Does it affect their development? Um, And all the while, and you mentioned this is going to happen tonight, three Canucks are about to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to use this word again, juxtaposition. Mm. Uh, The juxtaposition really of the last few weeks with Bieksa getting honored as well and giving that speech about team culture um, while the Canucks have been mired in. Let's let's face it, this is, this is, I'm, I'm I'm not going to debate which is the lowest point in franchise history. All I know is this is one of them. Uh, that juxtaposition has been quite stark. Uh, the Sedins and Luongo were absolutely dedicated to their crafts. They all had to deal with tremendous pressure and a crazy market and media criticism and crazy expectations. And while they didn't always succeed in the big games, they did win a lot. They won a lot of games. And they clearly earned the respect and admiration of the hockey world 
And that is something this current group of Canucks, many of whom are playing on big contracts, they have not earned the respect and admiration of anyone, including themselves at this point. The Canucks right now, to me, I'm watching them, and I just see aimlessness Aimlessness. Aimlessness. I like the way you put it better. They have no identity or purpose and obviously no winning culture. It feels like an awful environment for young players like Pod Colson and Hoaglander to develop in. I wonder what Kuzmenko is thinking about this team. He's come here. He's uh, seen all the losing. He's tried to do it with a smile on his face. Yesterday, he was a healthy scratch. Um, I don't know where to start. Why don't we start with, is Bruce Boudreaux going to be the coach when the Canucks return to Rogers Arena to play the Los Angeles Kings Friday? They play Buffalo Tuesday Mm -hmm. in Buffalo. I don't think there's going to be a firing right around the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Feels like something you don't do. When... When they come home from this trip, at at this point, just in my mind, I have no insider knowledge on this. It just feels like, especially if they lay another egg in Buffalo and they just look aimless and purposeless and no identity and keep making stupid mistakes out there, like Quinn Hughes playing the bloody puck with a broken stick. Like, Any come, sticks. That looks fun. Man, like, come on. Come on. Come on, young man. Uh, it, it is, uh, for me, it's just like a toss up whether or not he's going to be the coach on Friday, but frankly, I'm just kind of like, well, what difference is it going to make? Like it, the, the Canucks are making mistakes that I don't know. The, the Canucks are making, they just seem, they just seem a miserable group. And I know the fan base right now is almost as miserable as they are. I mean, I think it matters again, nothing to do with the Canucks, but for Boudreaux, like, that's that's where the one thing where I'm like, you know, I think this is a decision of note as opposed to being like, well, they're getting rid of a coach and it's not going to make much of a difference. I think it's incredibly unfortunate for him because I think, one, um, he's, he's you know, exasperated at this point. I mean, you look at the post game, you hear the post game, and that is a coach that is probably burnt out, stressed out, and out of answers. I think that's a fair assessment of where he's at. I want to play audio from both Saturday and Sunday night because he's got uh, the one trend that I've noticed now when addressing reporters and talking about his team's flaws. He constantly brings up what this team constantly does or more specifically doesn't do, right? So on Saturday after the Leafs game, I think the audio got a lot of play. It was that every game we have this 10-minute spell where we just stop playing. And then Sunday, he reiterated sort of a similar vein of criticism. Not necessarily the exact same. We'll go to the audio now. So first, let's start with the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, talking about the blown lead in Toronto, talking about how they stopped playing and how this is a recurring theme for his hockey team. We stopped playing. I mean, I mean it happens every game that there's a 10-minute lull I mean, or a 10-minute something. I mean... Uh, the day before, game before, it was the first 10 minutes in Montreal. Game before, it was in Ottawa, but we recovered. Tonight, 
the middle 10 minutes. I don't know. They get the momentum, and we sort of stop playing. And, uh, I mean, that's why I called the timeout. I know there was the next faceoff, there was going to be another timeout, but I thought, okay, we get slow it down a little bit, then, you know, maybe, maybe we get our composure. And I thought in the last eight minutes of the second period, we gained our composure again. But, I mean, it's too little too late. I can sit here all day. It's just not good enough. Just not good enough is a recurring topic of conversation and theme with Boudreaux when he's assessing his hockey team. So take that audio of what he had to say about his team on Saturday night. Now, you'd think, at the very least, there'd be a more inspired effort on Sunday, and to a certain degree, I guess there was. But at the end of the day, Boudreaux comes back, and by the way, it was a 5-2 loss in Boston. I think I said 4-2 earlier. 5-2 loss in Boston. Just listen to this. It sounds familiar. It sounds like a coach that's saying the same old, same old thing about a very flawed hockey team. This is Bruce Boudreaux following Sunday's 5-2 loss in Boston to the Bruins. It seems every time um, you take a dumb penalty or a needless penalty, those are the ones that are scored on. When you take a, a penalty that's a work ethic penalty in the proper spot, those you end up killing off. But, I mean, the two that they got today, both off really dumb penalties. So here's the assessment from the weekend. They play two games, and after them, Bruce Boudreaux points out that almost every game they have a 10-minute spell where they stop playing. And almost every game, they're taking bad penalties or dumb penalties, and they're getting scored on the subsequent power play. Every game. The result, you are a four-win hockey team through 16 games. You have the worst 16-game start since 1997-98, which I will remind you was Mark Messier's first year in Vancouver. And kudos to Rob, the hockey guy, Rob Williams from Daily Hive, who pointed out that that year, Jason... That year, the Canucks fired the head coach, the general manager, and they traded guys like Lyndon, McLean, Jelenov, Babich, and Ojik. There was a huge fundamental shakeup because it was so bad. Yeah, and you know what else? There was no salary cap then, so it was easier to tear down a team. I, I Make think, a move. I think that makes it so much worse uh, for this current team because you can say tear it down. Guess what? To tear this team down might actually cost assets mm-hmm. in some cases, oh, yeah. right? Uh, you can't just say, Mr. Rutherford, tear this team down. You can't do, you, do it. Do you know that that, that West Ham fan uh, video that we've played and the audio we've played before? About, we played him this morning. Uh, we played a little bit of it this morning, and I tweeted it out yesterday. And it's this, it's actually from four years ago. And it's this West Ham fan doing this interview outside the stadium after another tough loss. 3-0 to Burnley, I think. That, yeah, was the that loss. is a tough loss. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things he says in that really sticks with me because he, he looks earnestly at the interviewer, who is also a West Ham supporter, and he goes, he goes how are we going to get out of this? Like, how, how are we going to do this? Like, it's like it, this feeling of being trapped. And the Canucks right now, to me, they – they are trapped by the salary cap because mm-hmm. even if Jim Rutherford wants, like, let's say it's the old school, you know, like old school GMs would be like, that's it. I'm trading everyone. You're all gone. Right. Like, and, and, and in a lot of ways, that's what happened to that Messier team. Right. Like when, when you got a guy like Keenan, he's just like, you're all gone. Right. Yep. And I, and I'm just doing it. Like, I'm having a bit of a temper tantrum and I'm trading guys left, right, and center, and I don't care what you meant to this team, you're gone or whatever, you sure, know? Sure, sure. You can't do that. Like, 
Oliver Ekman-Larsen, you cannot trade him. Or you could. You'd have to give away, like, I don't know, Quinn Hughes while you're doing it, right? Yeah. It, and it is... It is, it is that, that, that is really what makes, that's makes me feel trapped as a Canucks fan right now. I'm looking at this situation and I'm sorry if you're hearing this and it's the last thing you want to hear. Okay. But I'm just telling you how I honestly feel if I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I say that all the time with this team. I'm usually not. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I'm looking at this situation and I'm going, it's going to take years to unravel all the damage that's been done to this team, this self-inflicted wounds, and build it back with something else, someone else. I don't know if Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko are going to be the foundations of the group going forward. Um, at this point, I'm open to anything. I don't think there should be any untouchables. The way Pedersen is playing, I would maybe say he's an untouchable. But, you know, in reality for me, this is just, I look at this project that the Canucks have and whether they're going to attack it like this, I don't know. I look at it and I'm like, this is a, this is a five-year thing because not only do you have to build something, which is hard, obviously, mm-hmm. you have to spend time tearing this thing down. If you want to know what the East London version of Jason Bruff sounds like, here's what it sounds like right now. We are a shocking club. The whole club is rotten. It f***ing stinks. We've got players who are f***ing shit. We've got a manager who is f***ing shit. <laughs> I don't know if you did a very good job bleeping that. They didn't come pre-bleeped? No. No. <laughs> um, seriously, though, it is a very difficult time. I was telling the dogs when we got in this morning, prepping for the show. We do prep for the show, believe it or not. Um, that, you know, someone came up to me at my kid's soccer practice over the weekend and was like, Hey, you got anything good to talk about the show on Monday? And then it kind of went down that road of both of us going back and forth, talking about how no one really wanted to do this, come in and continue to either rail on or like rag on, or just continually vent and be frustrated with the team. Right. I mean, it got to the point where the conversation went about like, you know, this doesn't do anybody's mental health any good because this is no. supposed to be an escape for people. Oftentimes, this is supposed to be a way to just have some fun, but it's not just the losing. I think that's the important part. The losing will eat at you, and the losing will grind away, and the losing will be captured by uh, markets outside of you because they're all... But it's it's what you're talking about with the sense of despair. It's like, well, where does it go from here? Where realistically and how mm-hmm. quickly can this get turned around? Because right now you're saying, I don't think it's going to get turned around in season. I don't think a coaching change or some light bulb moment is going to happen with this group to have them go from being a four-win team through 16 games to the playoffs. So let's just you know say that. Then you say long-term. What about some of the contractual obligations that the team has? Well, it's not easy to get out from some of them, quite frankly, a lot of them. So maybe you're stuck. And if that's the case... You're looking at this and saying, how much longer do we have to keep doing this, given that we've already been going through this for the better part of a decade? Now, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're not telling anybody something that they haven't heard before, but there's 16 games into an 82-game season, right? People are checking out, and the weird part is is that a lot of the really ardently positive people that I know either in and around the organization are just complete fans have started to say the same things where it's like, it's not just the losing. It's Mm -hmm. the way that they lose. And it's the guys that they're losing with like to shed cap space. Let's say you went to a team like, I don't know, Arizona or 
Columbus or something, and you said, uh, all right, we'll, we'll just give you Besser, Garland, and Pearson. That would clear like $14 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. How many fans do you think would take that at this point? Like you got Besser, who hasn't scored a goal this season. Um, he's got he's on a six point six five million dollar cap hit, two years remaining. You've got Connor Garland, who's I don't know done a little bit, but he's also been a healthy scratch. Um, he's got he would be I don't know would he be the the big asset in this? Like he would be the uh, like he's at a five million dollar cap hit three years after this one, and then you got Tanner Pearson. Who's I think he's got one year left after this one at something like three, right? Mm-hmm. Those three guys, three wingers. Um, would you just do that? Like I, because because to to really aggressively clear cap space, that might without saying, all right, we're going to give you a prospect or we're going to give you a draft pick. Like the Canucks cannot send any more draft picks out the door, right? I. It's so frustrating this hard cap, and I know it is the situation that the league is in and other teams use the salary cap smartly, intelligently. But like you you mentioned that that Canucks teardown um during the after the Messier came in. I, I don't even know the timing. But they ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, they ninety seven, ninety They blew the team up, right? And you mm-hmm. could do that in the pre salary cap era. Like we're talking about an era where you have to jump through ho- hoops to get rid of Jason Dickinson, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's just, you know, it's so frustrating because I look at it and it's like it's like a, um, tearing down a really bad building, but the building has, like, really strong bones. Mm-hmm. So you've got to bring in the dynamite. You've got to bring in the crew. And, yep. like, it takes forever. There's a lot of environmental re- remediation. And, and like, it's, it's years of doing this thing. And then after that, you got to build it all back again. Yep. And I think another thing that's worth considering in this conversation is um, how, granted, the Canucks don't have a ton of young, impressionable prospects on this team, but this situation right now for the likes of the few young guys that you could see either being around or at the very least trying to mature into full-fledged, full-time NHLers, um, what is this doing to the likes of Pod Colson, Hoaglander, to a certain degree, Rathbone, where... The environment has to be so toxic and so negative. And, like, I, you know, I know we haven't talked a lot about the minor intricacies of Sunday's game in Boston, but the whole Pod Colson situation, like, I know people were happy that he s- stood up for himself and he went toe-to-toe with A.J. Greer, but, like, that, that wasn't a good sequence for a guy, quite simply, that's struggling to find his game, is not playing especially well, and I know he stepped way, way, way out of his comfort zone and probably got a pat on the back from his teammates for trying to do the things that he's not known to do. But the fact that he had to fight a guy that's like 6'3", 220, and got tuned up, missed the rest of the game, and then the Canucks just sort of once again went out with a whimper. I know that they tried to get back at him, whatever, but it just it kind of underscores just how everything has gone wrong with this team this year. And I do wonder how, when the if the rot hasn't set in, like you, you made your building analogy, like if the rot hasn't set in already, um, how you have to keep it from spreading even further. Because there are guys on this team that are still trying to find their way in the league, and right now they've got to be looking at it and saying, God, is this what the NHL is like? This seems awful at times. Doug from Salmon Arm texts in, and guys, I'm going to read a few texts from you because you sent them in early in the morning into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Guys, 
Canucks ownership are worried that fans won't watch their team during a rebuild. I have news for them. People won't be watching their team during whatever this is. I only have one or two rebuilds left. Give me a chance to see the team I have been cheering on since the first game back in 1970. Raise the cup. There are some other texts in talking about not watching the games anymore. Cam from Tawasson. This ship has gone so far off course over the last 10 years that as a diehard Canucks fan, this year is the first year in my life that I'm completely at peace with not wasting my time watching this product. Another one. Hey guys, I actually chose not to watch either game this weekend for the first time in my 30 years as a fan. The scary part is I didn't even have the desire to check the score on the Bruins game till right now reading stuff online because it's there. I'm officially on team apathy. Now, I've told the story a few times about that Messier era. Uh, I had graduated from high school. I was at university. And obviously, I've, you know, you're, you're in university. You're, it's, it's a good time. Um, you're meeting new people. You're, it's just a different part of your life, and it's exciting. There's lots of things to do. I completely checked out on the Canucks. I did. I know. I, I, and and the, I'm a pretty big sports fan. I don't know if you guys noticed this. I've kind of made it my career. I completely checked out on them. And for me, it's just like this kind of memory of like, oh, did that happen? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. The West Coast Express brought me back. It took a while. I was out for a few years. I'm a hardcore sports fan. And even I was checked out on that team. That is the risk that the Canucks are taking right now. People do not like this team anymore. Mm-hmm. They watch this team and they see the same things that we see. They do not see a likable bunch of players. Players that are tied to this community. Players that want to play for this team. And the juxtaposition, there's that word again, of Bieksa coming back and talking about the culture that they had. The Sedins and Luongo going into the Hall of Fame tonight, the highest honor you can get. Community people that made an impact in Vancouver are being honored tonight. While the local team, the current team, the team that does not even resemble that team from a decade ago, flounders in one of the worst starts in franchise history. Uh, So here's what we're going to do. For the next half hour, we're going to talk about some other things. If you're the person that's getting into your car at 6.30 in the morning and you just want your Canucks talk with your coffee and your donut, uh, I'll apologize ahead of time because we just went 27 minutes deep on a team that, quite frankly, is way too frustrating and way too depressing to talk about for 27 minutes, but we did it. Coming up on the other side, there are things to be happy about in the world of sports there are things to look forward to Canada's going to the World Cup they announced their roster yesterday Peter Galindo from Sportsnet is going to break it all down for us then we're going to talk about the BC Lions now it was a sad ending to the season for the Lions they lost 28-20 in the Western Final in Winnipeg on the weekend but it was a successful season in a lot of ways they overachieved both on and off the field but now there's some really big questions about the future of this team moving forward especially the future of Nathan Rourke. We will talk about all that coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Much as we can to get into all of it. Open segment coming up next. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street. In Vancouver. Sportsnet 650 is your home of the Canucks, for better or for worse. A tough weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. A 3-2 loss in Toronto on Saturday, followed up by a 5-2 loss in Boston on Sunday. Canucks tried everything. They played both goalies. A bunch of different guys got ice time. Kuzmenko was in. He was out. They did it all. They tried it all. But the end result is that after the weekend, the Canucks are now 4-9-3. They have four wins through their first 16 games of the season. For you mathletes out there, that's a a win every four games, which is bad. It is the worst start through 16 games for this franchise, this organization, since 1997-1998, the year I graduated high school, 1997, back in the very early days of the Marc Messier era, in which that season, uh, the coach, the general manager, and a bunch were fired and a bunch of players were traded. So when Jason said off the top this morning that what we're going through right now is one of the darkest, toughest times in franchise history, that was not hyperbole. This is right there with one of the worst starts through 16 games in franchise history. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy Monday. Going now into the Dunbar at Lumber text line. I'm just going to go through uh, a few of your texts and comments and and questions uh, about the Vancouver Canucks and We'll discuss them. Kind of like, I don't know, group therapy or something. Uh, Here's an unsigned text. They should send Pod Colson and Hoaglander down to Abbotsford. Let some of the AHL vets get some NHL paychecks. Most of all, keep those young guys away from the tire fire that is the NHL team. Um, So I, I have to admit, I had this exact same thought over the weekend watching Pod Colson play and watching Hoaglander play. And I, I actually thought Hoaglander played all right at times. I thought he had a reasonably strong game in Boston. But I'm just thinking, like, what are those guys experiencing right now? Pod Colson's dropping the gloves, yeah. uh, which I, I gave him credit for. Although, you know, he's and I kind of give him credit because he's not a fighter, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he left himself pretty wide open to be punched mm-hmm. uh he yeah. had to leave the game um we don't know what his status is going forward hopefully he's okay um those guys are still waivers exempt they could be sent down and i do wonder if management has considered it just because the current team is a mess man like and it and it's and, and it's not conducive to developing mm-hmm. the canucks do not play you know what it looks like, and I and I put this on Twitter. It looks like they're just playing shinny. Yeah. Like you're watching them play, and you're like, "What? What are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. What? What is? What is the objective 
of your game plan? What are you talking about in video sessions at practices? Is it, is it just the forecheck? Like, what are you guys? What are you guys doing? It doesn't. It doesn't look like you have any rhyme or reason. That's why, in a lot of cases, like you have Tyler Myers, who's in this position where, you know, he's like all his only option is all right, high off the glass and out. Mm-hmm. And well, sometimes when that is your plan, you're gonna screw up the flip. And you're going to flip it out, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't have any other options. And this is what Jim Rutherford is talking about when he's talking about structure and systems. When the defensemen do get those pucks in those positions, where are the forwards? Where are the options for them uh, to start the breakout, to start going the other way? And right now, I listen. I'm not. I'm not trying to sit here and, and and defend the Canucks defense. Tyler Myers, OEL, they have not been good. But in a lot of cases. I don't blame them because it doesn't look like they have any options to move the puck. So it brings you back to Hoaglander and Pod Colson. Are they learning enough? Well, that's the big question right, right now. Are you, they developing? Are things getting are things getting better for those two? Or are they actually getting worse? Because what I've seen, especially of Pod Colson this year, has me worried about his development. Yeah. I mean, part of it, I think, is this, the inevitable sophomore slump that they all go through. He had a very good rookie campaign, right? 14 goals, 26 points, 79 games, solid. Uh, he obviously is struggling. The fact that the sophomore issues are happening in this environment is it makes it so much worse. That's fair to say, right? For example, what happened in Boston on Sunday? And feel free to push back if you don't agree with my assessment here. I bet that situation doesn't play out the same way if the Canucks aren't in this state. If the Canucks aren't in this way. Because- what 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 played out? The, I I think part of the reason that he dropped the gloves right then and there. Oh, Pod Colson okay. is because. A lot played out. <laughs> well, no, I think, honestly, I just think that was the tipping point of a guy that's pissed off on a team that's pissed off, a yeah. guy that's frustrated on a team that's frustrated. They have these little bouts of fashion, uh, fashion passion, yeah. um, but it's not a consistent intensity, right? It's almost like these angry outbursts. That's exactly what it is. Which and are then, the fights. And then guess who's the guy that comes swooping in to try and make amends and try and even it up with Greer after he tuned up Pod Colson? It's Luke Shen, like it always is. Big Daddy. Al- always Luke Shen. Big Daddy. But, Andy, it's not a good thing. No, I know no. you're nodding. You're like, oh, I oh, love yeah. Big Daddy. It's, it's not a good thing. It's all I've got. I'm traumatized. It's, it's not fair. And you know what? I feel like Luke Shen half the time is like, yeah. Here we go Christ, again. I gotta, <laughs> dang, yeah. dang, kids. I got to do this again. It gets it. I mean, and Burroughs, to his credit, is doing it as well. The fight totals for the Canucks. Uh, because yeah, I, I you love this. You, you, you know it why? It just keeps telling. But it's because exactly what he said. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not that they're a tough team. No, they're not. They're it's not. That, they're not the. It's that they're the Broad bo- Street bullies. It's that they're boiling over every second game and just being like, "Okay, we got to fight because I'm pissed off." Back gotta to, show something. Back to the Pod Coles and Hoaglander thing. Um, right now, there's two ways to look at this. One is that you know iron sharpens iron and adversity you you need adversity so that you'll get through the tough times and you'll get better for it but that's the issue with that line of thinking is you don't necessarily learn the fundamentals of the game when you're doing that like pod colson learned a good lesson on saturday or sunday sorry about uh, one how to fight two sticking up for yourself and three you know kind of having that that culture within the nhl of being tough and you yeah. know not taking any crap I don't know how much Pod Colson is learning about the X's and O's of how to play or structure or systems or how to grow his offensive game because his numbers are awful through what is it, 16, the 14 games that he's played this year. So it's a, it's a double edged sword, unfortunately, where, yeah, 
you could say that if Pod Colson and Hoaglander turn out to be NHL players, they could look back on this and say, all right, we went through some tough times. We went through some adversity, but we mm-hmm. showed that when we battled through it, we belonged. The flip side of that is you end up kind of like Horvat in a way where it's like my entire uh, maturity in the NHL and then becoming a full-fledged NHLer came in this losing environment, and it hasn't been great. I just don't know if they're learning the lessons from the right guys right now. Well, either. that's another part of it too, right? Who are you? Sinine's always talked about learning from Nasland. Yeah, and you mentioned and then in they the brought break, in Sundin. You mentioned in the break, like Horvat played with the Sedines, right? Mm-hmm. But there was never any sustained success that those two eras had together. That being said, who did he get to learn leadership qualities and work ethic and how to be professionals? He learned from the Sedines. If you were put it this way, if you were Rathbone or Hoaglander, or Pod Colson right now, who's the guy that you're trying to emulate in terms of that's what the bar should be to be a top-flight NHLer like the Sedins were? I don't know who the answer would be. Feel free to text it in, 650-650. Here's a text. To the Dunbar Lumber Unsigned text, text. Why would the Canucks want to sign Bo? The team is obviously not good enough, so keeping everybody and giving them more money than they're making right now is Homer Simpson digging up. I had this thought over the weekend. Here's another thought I had over the weekend when JT Miller shifted back to the wing and I thought, oh my God, I hope the Canucks don't look at their situation at center and say, well, Miller's a winger. He's not a center. We have to try harder to re-sign Bo Horvat because if we lose Bo Horvat and JT Miller can't play center, then we only have Pedersen down the middle in the top six. There I is hope... no way, friend. There is no way that they're tripling down on this group now. They they keep making this mis- these mistakes, though. There's that, no and, way. Okay. I mean, it's I... a bridge I, too far. I thought at one point there was no way they were going to re-sign JT Miller, and they did that. They have been clear in that their plan is not to lose, quote-unquote, good players. Mm-hmm. And if Miller can't play center, if he's better on the wing, and he certainly is, um, until until management comes out and says, we're going to make some dramatic changes. Because all we've got so far is that pecking away. We're c- going to continue pecking away at the roster. Until they come out and say something different. Because what they're saying right now is, we still want to sign Bo. We still want to sign Bo. We still want to sign Bo. Yeah, but he's they're an not important saying, player. He's not saying they're not saying what they said about Miller though. They said Miller's our best player, and we can't afford to lose okay. him. They're all not- I'm saying is, all I'm saying is that that if they are thinking that, if they are thinking that, man, we can't afford to lose Bo because what would we be then? I will maybe cry on the air. Like I've never cried on the air, but I might cry on the air at that point. So this is a silver lining then. If this happens, yeah, like, at if, least if, we get to witness if this. If they, if and they, we're streaming now, so if they can buy see it. even more UFA years of a team and double or triple down on this current roster because they can't afford to lose Bo Horvat, so we're mm. going to pay him full market value. If they do that, then maybe I'll cry on the air. Now it's a maybe. Do you think management? Wait a minute! I didn't guarantee it. Didn't we need to run the tape on that? Because I was pretty sure he was 100 percent going to cry if they re-signed Bo Horvat. We'll get we, that. We need to run the tape on that. Yeah. Doug, I, Doug from the Hall. No way they should do that. But there's a 10 year pattern that's hard to ignore. 
they won't I I I can't I can't envision a scenario right now where that plays out for either guy. Don't forget, Bo Horvat has to sign the thing. I know. Why would he do that? I would be like right now, if I was him and I was scoring goals at the clip I was scoring, I'd be like, just bide your time, Bo. Just play with the dog and you know, the wife and kids will be good. And then around March, we'll go somewhere cool and we'll get a chance to win a cup. And then in the summer, we can go wherever we want, right? I'm sure Tim Horvat, who was there on the weekend, by the way, he got on camera a few times. Eh? Uh, I'm sure he's like, yeah, just, just bide your time. Don't do, don't, don't sign anything. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm just going to break your hand so you can't yeah. sign this. Do you think management looks at this? Because, you know, like you keep saying that they want to keep good players. They want to keep good players. But do you think management looks past that and is like, okay, well, maybe these good players that we have in the locker room, they're just not working together. I know we've talked about ourselves, the culture, and the chemistry. But do you think management, like Rutherford and Alvin, look at this team and say, hey, maybe they're just this team – regardless of the fact that they're all good individually, don't work together? Because we all think that, but do you think management has they, ever thought okay, about if that? If they think that, then the first question you got to ask is, why the hell did you double down on this roster? Yeah, well, that's what if I If you don't wondered. think it's any good, why did you? No, no, do- no, but Andy's saying maybe they th- they actually do think. But they're the starting team- to, is starting to come to their minds like, hey, maybe these good players, regardless of the fact that individually they're all they're all very good, they just don't mesh together. They're not clicking. Well, individually, no chemistry. individually, they aren't all very good. Some, I mean, I'm just yeah. talking about like the Horvats. So you're asking the, if the, if you think management is having a come to Jesus moment right now, yeah. the realization that they've made I made a huge mistake. Yes. Like uh, I, I uh, do think because I want to believe that, but no, I don't no, no. know if that's true. Like I don't know if that's the case, but I want to believe. I, that. I wonder if management looks at this team and goes, maybe with the right coach. With our type of coach, yeah, systems, but that doesn't make any sense. detailed structure. No, sense, I because Rutherford came out at the end of last year and pointed out all the inefficiencies that the team had. I don't get. But it. he's also just said all he said though recently. Just calm down. No, I will not. <laughs> uh, he said that we're just going to continue pecking away at the roster. So until that changes, and he says we want to re-sign Bo Horvat. He he says we recognize that we have to fix the defense over time, and it's going to take time. There has been nothing other than an offhand comment, which I think was. Somewhat said it sarcastically when he said, wow, the way we're playing, we might be trending towards a rebuild. There is nothing that's been said by this management group that suggests that they are going to have a full teardown, kind of throw their hands up in the air and go, we got to start again. Nothing. And that's why I say that's the coach and that's it. And that's why I say I wonder if they're looking at this Horvat situation. I'm not endorsing this view. You know all know my views, but I wonder if they're saying, well, if we lose Bo, then how are we going to look down the middle? This message is endorsed by Jason Bruff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I'm getting frustrated because uh I feel like trying to come up with some rhyme and reason based off what they've said won't work. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because all I hear is we need a new coach for management. Like, that's all I hear from them, but it's just – I want to know on, more. Hold on, hold on. It's not that they need a new coach. we got to make that abundantly clear. It's that we didn't want this coach to begin with. Yeah, There's sure. a, Those are that's two fair. totally different statements, right? Yeah. I don't think that Rutherford is na- or, and are naive enough to think that a coaching change is going to fix this. Mm-hmm. I just think that they know that this was never the guy that they wanted because in their eyes – all of last season when Boudreaux came aboard was essentially wasted because he won a bunch of games that they probably didn't need him to win, and he did it without teaching them any sort of structure or implementing any sort of system that they wanted to see. Practice habits, all the kind of stuff, right? Now, that leads you into a summer in which you look at all the moves that they made and you're like, what the hell are you doing? How does this add up? 
how does investing hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> in guys that are already here and then tacking on a few more to bring in Kuzmenko and Mikhaev, how does that make sense? And it didn't really. And it doesn't. And we still haven't gotten a good explanation for it. And I don't think you're going to. And this is why I say until there is a severe course correction in what management is saying and what management is doing, we can't just sit here and assume that they're going to make these big changes, that they're going to do these things like trade Bo Horvat or tear things down well, and allow themselves in their heads at least to take a step back. They've already taken steps back, but they've been forced back, right? Yeah. I'm talking about recognize I'm you know what I'm I'm talking about admitting failure. Admitting failure. Just admit it. Just admit it. Like this whole thing these these pa- this past decade, it's been a failure. Mm-hmm. And we got to start again because sometimes you got to do that. Right. So the if bad if- decisions were made, mm-hmm. you know? But bad decisions were made by me. They were made by the previous regime. Bad decisions overall were made. We've got to change our strategy. We've got to change the way we think. We've got to make some changes. And that will come right from the top. And that will have to be an admission that these last few years Mm -hmm. have all failed. That we've spent millions and millions of dollars putting together this team that has a terrible culture and can't win games. Yeah. I'm just talking about Horvat, though, in a, in a vacuum. <laughs> I'm not talking about yeah, you're that went. Big. But we but that we gotta stop. But we gotta stop talking. Like we got this text in. Hey, I'm I don't want to get mad. I'm not mad at the texters here. That's but, what a mad guy would say. But someone's someone I'm texted in and said, "Can Jack Stanika be uh, like? Do we think about him in a top six role? Like, let's stop worrying about." For once with the Canucks, and this is not the fans because I know the fans are already thinking this way. And I, I remember asking Jim Benning this question, and it was about trading Chris Tanev. I'm like, shouldn't you be thinking three, four, five years down the line as opposed to worrying about the next season, opposed to worrying about the here and now? Mm-hmm. And that's why I bring up, hey, maybe send Hoaglander and Paul Colson down to the AHL. Will they like it right now? No. But you're keeping them away from whatever's going on with this current team, and, and you deal with the rotten stuff on this current team, and then you start building back. Now, do you keep Hughes and Pedersen and Demko? I don't know. I think for me at this point, nobody's untouchable, and Pedersen might want out anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has to start from the admission that there has been a failure, an all-around failure mm-hmm. that everything that we've done over the last decade we have to rethink because this is not working. This team that we've seen to start the season is the culmination of years of work and millions and millions of dollars. And this is what you've got. You've got Homer Simpson's car that he built. It's got oh, the, it's got a nice looking car, though. Yeah, it I plays mean. La Cucaracha. Yeah. yeah the horn Could we all cool. just admit that this is just a stealth tank? Uh, That's what's happening right now. I don't know. It seems like a lot of a <laughs> no. mo- it seems like a lot of money to invest into a stealth tank. Yeah, to get um, a player that they probably won't get anyways. I love the theory, right? I love. Oh, throwing, it'd be I love throwing this stuff it'd be out there. I mean, I do think it might be part of the reason why they haven't done anything uh, in terms of replacing the coach yet. They're like, ah, just let them keep losing. Yeah, Rutherford and Alvin, like, look, like, okay, we're bad, but look what's around the corner. Maybe but, we'll get really lucky. But 
um, I'll say this. Like, I think part of this makes the Horvat decision so much easier for both parties. You know? We were saying, how can you trade your captain in a year where you might be pushing for the playoffs at the deadline? Well, that's not an issue anymore. And it's not going to be. I mean, you guys seem to think that it's all about the Canucks' decision on this, whether they're going to you know, triple down and keep Horvat. I can't envision a scenario where he wants to hang around. I really can't. Why would he? He's done it. He's been here for a decade, right? He's done everything that he could possibly do. And as far as the captaincy goes, mm-hmm. I think... I would it, not blame him one bit if I he think, wanted out. I think the captaincy, in part, got foisted upon him. Uh, I think the moment that they did it, the issue was going to be, is this guy going to be your best player in two or three or four years? And ultimately, it was no, because he was eclipsed by a handful of guys. And then... I don't know what the mental anguish of this offseason did, but there was it was super awkward and super weird when you realize <laughs> that they prioritized JT Miller way more than the guy who was drafted by the team, spent a decade here, and was the current serving captain. Paul and Coquitlam, I was looking for the perfect analogy for this team. Homer's car is it. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like it's a mishmash. <laughs> this whole throw, team is a mishmash. Just, it's got a bubble on yeah, it. Yeah, you like, like the bubble just, yeah, and right? – you like the horn that plays La Cucaracha. Homer Simpson but, is a brilliant man. But as a, <laughs> but as a whole, the car, the car does not work. <laughs> <laughs> He's waving. Uh, this is a good. I'm gonna read this from his table. personal hygiene is above reproach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> table saw James. Even TSN 1040 knew when they made a mistake and they said good riddance to it all and became a funny station. Hey, you know what? <laughs> when you tear it back to the studs, you tear it back to the studs, right? It wasn't an easy decision. But they got, all of the, got rid of all the high-priced dead weight. <laughs> and, then you, and then you pivot, right? Oh, boy. Yeah, and then you pivot. <laughs> hey, no one says it's nice and easy. No one says it feels good, but you got to make a big move sometimes, Right. Things are so much better now. Canucks go to their, lo- yeah. Canucks go to their locker room after the game. They're playing good riddance. 10, 1040 <laughs> is actually mean? 1040. It's a strong draft year, too, so the 1040 is going to get a strong pick. You just bought yeah. them out, right? Who knows who you can pick up? Anyway. Uh, Why am I afraid I'm going to be shipped there for spare parts? <laughs> What's going on here? Now everyone in the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is quoting that Simpsons episode. <laughs> ah, I'm ruined, yeah. Rutherford. <laughs> Rutherford is Unky Herb, is he not? Yes. yes. <laughs> Rutherford is Unky Herb. Perfect. Oh, no. Was that Danny DeVito? Yes, uh, it was. Yes, it was. All he right. Had, he had the comeback one, too, right? He came back. What did, oh, they made the uh, baby translator. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So many good times. I'm rich again. USA. <laughs> USA. Uh, one final segment coming up. We'll talk to IMAC. That's next on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. If they are thinking that, man, we can't afford to lose Bo because what would we be then? I will maybe cry on the air. Like, I've never cried on the air, but I might cry on the air. I'm ruined! (laughs) This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.